Well, this year, we decided to be extremely intentional with our Advent season. Advent is a season on the church calendar that's intended to take us into a new year. It's where you remember the coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago, but you also look forward to his second coming. That's what the word Advent means, arrival. And you look forward in hope to when Jesus is going to return. And I've loved that we've taken this intentional season to make sure our hearts are tuned in to what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. So we've looked at themes like hope and peace and joy. And every week it's been such an honor and a privilege to allow our minds and hearts to connect with the fact that in the darkness and brokenness of a sinful world, light is breaking through. Did you know Advent was placed at the time of year that is like physically the darkest and coldest on purpose? Because Jesus was not born in December. I don't want to like ruin this for anybody, but he was actually born in the spring. Uh, The church fathers chose that this would be the season where we remember Advent because they wanted the sun to be going down early. So some of y'all who are depressed by that whole 445 sundown, like God's in it. And and some of you who have been blown away by how cold it's been, it's actually warmed up this weekend, but it's like, oh man, the darkness is not something that we deny when we read the scriptures. No, we acknowledge it, but we also acknowledge that light has broken in and the hope and the peace and the joy that God offers around Christmas time. It's not a fleeting emotion or a good feeling around a holiday. It's a reality that the King of Kings has come to give us. And the last theme of Advent is the strongest theme of all in the Christmas story. I'm going to end this Advent season taking us into tomorrow on Christmas Day when we celebrate the birth of Jesus talking about love. Today's sermon on Christmas Eve is called Persevering in Love. And I want to preach to you about the most important thing we could ever talk about in the Bible, which is the love of God. Do you know the Christian life is less about keeping your faith alive and more about keeping your heart in love? If you're a believer in Jesus today, persevering in a relationship with Jesus, I think when we hear that word perseverance, we immediately think, okay, I got to keep trusting and I got to be like journey, don't stop believing. And I got to just hold on to Jesus long enough to make it to heaven. But being a Christian is less about holding on to your faith through the storms of this life and more about making sure your heart is still softened in love toward the God of the universe. And he's still speaking to you and you're actually abiding in him. And today is gonna be a very simple invitation to let God, who is your heavenly father, love you right where you're at. Which is going to be really confusing for some of you, especially those of you who would say, I'm not a believer in Jesus. I am literally just here because my grandmother would be really upset if I didn't come. Like We we know it's Christmas time. There are people who walk through the doors of church who are going, I cannot believe you guys believe this baby who was born to a virgin is actually the son of God, died and rose again. I can't believe that you're celebrating this fairy tale and worshiping as if this stuff is actually real. I just want to acknowledge, I know that some of you are out there, But I actually, instead of taking time on Christmas Eve to try to prove to you intellectually that everything claimed in this book actually has historical things that back it up, which I could do and we could go that route. Instead of going the intellectual route, I actually want to go a step deeper and say, if you could just go with me for 30 minutes today and pretend and maybe even envision it, if God is who we're saying he is, what if the deeper issue than your unbelief is actually your unwillingness to let God love you. 
What if there's a hardness in your heart that's causing you to stand off from God intellectually that can actually be broken down by a softness that goes, okay, even if I don't agree with everything intellectually, God, if you are real and you are speaking, would you say something specific to me? Because I actually believe beneath the mind and the will in our souls is our loves. Love is the center of the human heart. Love is the baseline inclination of humanity. In fact, I'm reading a book about this. It's called You Are What You Love by James Smith. And the premise of this book is that educationally, in our country and in the West right now, we've reacted to the wrong philosophy about the center of human beings. For a lot of us, we've reacted to the philosophy, I think, therefore I am. And we think we're only the byproduct of everything we think and everything we feel and everything we do. And all of those things are absolutely a part of who we are. But everything that happens in the mind or in the will and in the emotions of a human being is actually guided by this one true north called love. You really are what you love. And this has been proven on a philosophical level. This has been proven on a psychological level. But on a spiritual level, when you open the scriptures, you come to find out that God offers love as the most important commandment and the central essence of who he is. And love is the message he has come to bring from heaven to you on Christmas. So if you don't know Jesus, would you just go there with us for a second? If he is real and if this stuff is actually true, what would it look like for God to love you? And if you do know Jesus, which is the vast majority of you, what would it look like for you to not waste Christmas on everything else and just have one moment in church to let God father you? I, I mean, this might be way too much information, but I struggle to connect with God at Christmas. I do. Easter's easy. I mean, he, resurrection of Jesus. Come on. Like, I'm like, Good Friday. We got Palm Sunday that gets us into Holy Week. We're kind of leaning in all week, and then Sunday's here, and the sun comes up, and it's like, he is risen indeed. Let's worship Jesus. Christmas is hard for me. Because there's just so much cultural noise out there, so much going on. We have young kids, and of course, there's a million things to get done at home. And I can, I don't know about you, but I can make church just this kind of last thing I do before I move on with everything else and not really have a moment to truly connect with God. And I want to ask you, if you're a believer in Jesus, what would it look like for this moment for God to collide with your story at the end of 2023 and you just have a moment, maybe even five seconds where the spirit of God takes you deeper into the love of God. Is that something you're interested in on Christmas Eve today? Did you bring your Bible for the final gathering of 2023? If you have your Bible, hold it up, hold it up, hold it up high, hold it up high. Where are we gonna go on Christmas at ACC? Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy, I'm dead serious. Deuteronomy chapter six. Who preaches on Deuteronomy on Christmas? I guess we do now. Okay, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of your Bible. It's the final book of the Torah, which are the most holy of the Hebrew scriptures. The story of Genesis from the beginning of humanity to the Exodus with Moses to now the people of God are entering in to the promised land. And Deuteronomy is the final look back at the people of God's story before they enter into the promised land. So here's what's happening in Deuteronomy. Yes, there's a lot of rules and restrictions for the Jewish people that people read and get confused in a million different directions. But really what's happening is Moses is letting the people of God know as we enter into the promised land, we cannot allow our hearts to stray from the love of God. Why? 
because they were 400 years enslaved in Egypt, rescued with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. The sea splits. Pharaoh chases the people of God. They make it through the sea. The sea crashes down on Pharaoh and his army. And then the people of God are sent, are like ready to go into the promised land, right? Wrong. That's not what happens. They have that miracle and then they start to doubt God. And for 38 years, they wander through the desert waiting for a generation to pass away so that a generation with enough faith to take the land can take the leadership. And so when it's time to take the land, Deuteronomy is written for Moses to go, y'all, here's all the rules and restrictions that God has spoken. Here's the beauty of his laws. Here's what it would look like to be a people that are holy and set apart. But more than anything, do not let your hearts forget who Yahweh, our God is. Because there's a lot of little G gods out there that we could go in and serve as we take this new land. Do not allow yourself to stray from what we've been given. And this passage is actually the passage that Jesus quotes when he was asked what is the most important commandment in the entire law? I love Deuteronomy. It's a great book to read when you're in a new season, leaving behind an old season, because it calls you to remember what got me here and where am I going moving forward? I've actually been reading it in my own private Bible reading right now because we've got a lot of new beginnings happening in our family. One of them is it's a new year. 2024 is coming up and 2023 was a big year in our family, in our church. And then we, we, we just moved into a new house, which was also motivated by a new member of our family. Courtney is pregnant with our fourth child and it's a fourth girl, um, which I just, I say that. You don't have to say congratulations. You can just say, I'll pray for you. And that's all that needs to be said. Before I read this, Side note on that, if anyone owns a wedding venue that you, you want to do like a deal, like four weddings for the price of one, I'm so down, so down. So I've been reading Deuteronomy, and what I'm trying to do is take what Moses was saying to God's people and hold on to some of these truths as we're heading in to so many new beginnings together. And I want to read this over you on Christmas Eve. Deuteronomy chapter six, we're going to begin in verse four. If you're there, say I'm there. Moses says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What you just read in a few verses are the most holy and set apart scriptures in the entire Old Testament of your Bible. This is one of several scriptures that are known as the Shema. It's a collection of prayers that God's people pray most often. And when Jesus the son of God, as a rabbi 2,000 years ago, was pushed and asked the question, hey, there's a lot of rules and a lot of restrictions. There's 10 commandments. There's all this stuff. What do you elevate in your teaching as the most important thing God is going to say? You guys know Jesus could have said anything in that moment. He could have said, none of them are more important than another. Just follow all of them. Be, you know, figure it out. Like, just be holy and things that he says at other points. Like, no, the fact that Jesus even engages this question tells us that it's a good question. He goes, oh yeah, there is a most important commandment, and it's this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Have you ever noticed in the scriptures that love is elevated to another level of any other theme? We've been talking in this series about hope 
and peace and joy, which are all needed. A lot of peace needed this time of year, especially given the anxiety epidemic that's happening in our day. A lot of joy needed, especially given how depressed and dark some of us feel like things are. Those are all important. But Paul says these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. And when Jesus is asked if if God could give us one thing to do, what would it be? No hesitation. It's love. Why? Because love will always be at the center of what God has called us to do. But also, here's what's confusing about Deuteronomy chapter 6 and something we have to let into our minds. Love is not this neutral thing that comes and goes based on emotion. Love and abiding is actually directly connected to our aim and our effort with our will. It said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Now, some of us, like me, grew up in churches that were allergic to the word effort. And so anything that has to do with trying to love God, we're like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, that's not grace. Like, no effort. I don't want to have to earn anything. No, grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. And the grace of God unlocks a supernatural ability to call you and to call me to live a lifestyle of love. We're talking about activating your mind. We're talking about aiming your life. Everything you think about, everything you care about, everything you do has a supreme passion and treasure to it that looks like God. Jesus has called you to love him more than he's called you to do anything else with your life. And yet, even though I just said effort is involved, the worst thing you could ever do, and the main thing many of us are doing on a daily basis is try to love God in our own strength. One of the worst things you could do as a believer in Jesus is make an effort to love God enough with your thoughts, with your emotions, and with your will. And so you read a verse like that and you go, okay, if the greatest commandment is love God with everything I got, like I'm ready to to get my, my time out, my money out, my stuff out, my relationships out. Like I want to pour my life out for the love of God. And this is where the scriptures are so beautiful because the love that God calls you to pour out for him is never something that you conjure up from within. It's something you draw from a deep well that is his love for you in the first place. When God says to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that is impossible to do if you do not believe and agree and receive that he has loved you first. This is 1 John. You don't have to turn there. I just want to read this passage over you. 1 John chapter 8 or chapter 4 verse 8 that says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. Here's Christmas. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for sins. When John describes the love of God, he doesn't say love is a big part of what God holds. He says God is love. That is That's the opposite of our culture and our world's gospel in our day. Our culture says love is God. Follow what you love. Do what you love. Be who you want to be. Follow your own passions. Follow your own will. Like Create your own identity and just be true. Be uniquely you. Your love is your God. The Bible says no. Left up to your own volition and your own choice, your loves are disordered because of sin. It's not love is God. It's God is love. And I find the full meaning of what it means to abide in real love when I worship and serve and pour out my life for the one true God. And then he says, 
is this. This is so beautiful, and this is Christmas. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Why did he do that? Because he loved us, and this is love. Not, circle this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for sins. Verse 10 is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. They taught it to us so fast in seminary. I went to Reformed Theological Seminary, which is a great school. But they always come back to this verse. And I look at the words atoning sacrifice. It's like, a, it's like a perfect present state of what Jesus did for you. Did you know when Jesus came down on Christmas, he came down with a mission? And that mission was not to just be laid in a wooden manger as a baby. It was to be laid on a wooden cross as a grown perfect man. And it says, the baby that became the Savior becomes an atoning sacrifice. If you have ESV, there's a better word. It's called propitiation. Can you say that without spitting? Propitiation. The word propitiation. And in my seminary, like we just freak out about this word. It literally means full payment with favorable disposition. It means that what Jesus did for you on the cross was the full payment for your sin. Nothing left to pay off, no effort that you are earning that you add to it that goes, I am contributing toward my salvation. It's the full payment. But too many times we stop at full payment and we, we think God's like in heaven like a banker going, okay, I received Jesus' blood. Did you pray the prayer? Okay, you're going to heaven. I'll see you when you die, whatever. No, no, no. It's full payment with favorable disposition, which means not only is Jesus the full payment for our sin, he takes our place and we take his, which means the disposition that God the Father has toward his son is the disposition that God has toward you if you're in Christ Jesus. What does disposition mean? It's how God looks at you. God looks at you the way he looks at Jesus, if you know him. He looks at you with that level of acceptance and delight and enjoyment and your ability to persevere in your faith over the course of a lifetime is directly connected to your ability to persevere in believing that God loves you that much. Oh, such a simple message on Christmas Eve. God loves you in Christ Jesus, and if you wanna persevere in your faith, continue to believe that until you see him face to face. Persevering in love is about how do I stay connected to God's real disposition toward me so that my love for him is not rooted in my own effort to be good enough, but so that my love for him is in reaction and response and drawn from his love for me in the first place. And the only way to do that, y'all look up here if I missed you, because this is probably the best part of anything I have to bring you today. And it's my gift to you. I hope you receive something from it. The only way to do that is to go through the excruciating process of believing again that when God sees you, he sees Jesus. And I've been following Jesus for over 20 years now, and I have found the further you get on the journey, sometimes this gets harder to do because it's really easy to believe that God forgives you and sets you free in the early days. I just came to know Jesus, and I'm freshly believing all these new things and these new opportunities and this new way of living. This is awesome. But then you follow Jesus for five years or 10 years or 15 years or further than that. And what happens? When you go to God one-on-one -on -one in prayer, you're not operating under the assumption that you are welcomed with the tender and love and care of a father who's there to pour out love on you. You are walking into your time with God overwhelmed with disappointment and frustration that you think is his because of all the ground you should have taken a long time ago. Almost every time, and I'm a pastor, almost every time I bow my head to pray or open my Bible to read and learn about the truth of scripture, I have this innate sense of, ah, 
there's about a hundred things he's thinking about right now that I should be further along in my journey in. There's, there's probably five things that before we even get to dear God, he wants me to apologize for before we take one more step forward. And the frustration of working out your salvation over time has the capacity to block out the love that is supposed to be your fuel in the first place. And I'm saying to you today on Christmas Eve that persevering in love is about radically believing again that you are just as loved by the God of the universe as Jesus was when he got baptized. You guys know that that God the Father didn't say a lot from heaven in the New Testament? He didn't have to. He sent his son to do the talking for him. But he does say something. When Jesus was baptized, he said, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's pretty much it from the Father in the New Testament. My son, I love him. Well pleased with him. Listen to him. And if the gospel message is that he's the full payment for our sin and we become his righteousness, he became our sin, then that means that your identity before God has become that of Jesus' identity at his baptism, which means if you know Jesus, there's never a moment that you have ever come to God where his disposition or angle toward you has been anything other than this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I love, with him, with her, I am well pleased. And I'm saying you got to find a way to believe that again on the hardest days to believe it. You got to find a way to dig for it. You got to find a way to look for it in weird, random ways. I'll tell you something I've started doing. I have started going to our YouTube page and watching some of our previous baptisms. The way we do baptisms at ACC, it kind of happened over, over time in the most incredible way. So we, we dunk people while we sing songs in worship after they share their stories, but we allow their friends and family to kind of walk around and stand in front of them. So every time somebody gets baptized, there's this picture of the family and them right after they shared their story. And not every time, but most of the time, the person at the front of the family watching is the dad. And so what I've started to do is I've started to open my Bible and feel that innate shame and guilt that goes, ah, you're not where you need to be. I'll go hit play on a YouTube video. There's one baptism in particular that Gage was a part of at this past one that just every single time, every single time I watch it I'm like my heart can be so hardened toward God and then I watch this man stand in front of this boy and I watch Gage speaking approval over his life and I watch a stone-faced looking father figure melt with approval as this boy is baptized and I go okay Miles you got to believe this again Holy Spirit speaking Why do you think when you come to God that there's anything less than that on his face toward you? This is is what Jesus came to give you on Christmas. Not, Not a cool holiday to celebrate once a year, but an everyday access and a portal that you have because of the blood, guys. That you can look to heaven and go, whoa, I am that loved, and there is a difference between the me who believes he's that loved and the me who's trying to conjure up enough love for God once again. 
And I want to teach you how to know and rely on the love God has for you. That's what 1 John 4 says. We'll live in that passage one more second, verse 16. You can come back to it later this week. You'll have plenty of time off. It, it, it says, and so we know and rely on what? On the love we have for God? No. Put this on the screen, please, team. And so we know and rely on the love God has. We don't have it. On the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Y'all, please don't miss this. I got a couple more minutes. Please don't miss this. John is saying, the love that you know and rely on is not your ability to love God enough with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's rooted in the fact that he first loved you. And if he first loved you, if he first loved you, then perfect love is what drives out your fear. I've, I've sat through so many sermons and read through so many books that tell me that the antidote of fear is faith. Do you ever hear this? Like, Faith over fear, faith over fear. And I agree, we need to believe God boldly. And I believe faith is a powerful weapon in the scriptures. But the Bible never says faith over fear. The Bible says perfect love drives out fear. You know why? Because every fear that cripples you in your life is exposing an area that you have been unfathered by God. And when God fathers you with his love, that is actually the antidote to fear. That's actually the medicine. That's actually what you need. More than you need answers, more than you need an explanation, you need a father who draws near to you in your most desperate moment. And all your fear and all your anxiety and all of your restlessness, what if Christmas is the invitation, not to the ultimate end of all of that, but a new beginning of having a space to bring them to called a right relationship with your heavenly father. The Christmas sermon at ACC is so simple. I want you this Christmas to look at God looking at you in love. Look at God looking at you in love. Look at those dads at those baptism moments and go, that's how I'm seen by God right here and right now in the middle of my dysfunction, in the middle of my inconsistency, in the middle of my frustration, in the middle of my depression. Will you let the love of God break down the barrier between you and everything that you're afraid of? Because that's what happens when God's people boldly believe that what Jesus gave them is actually real. I want you to persevere in love and I want love to break chains. And when this happens, your heart will cross over from being restless to peace. You have total permission to tune me out. In fact, from wherever you're joining us from, you might be like, this, this Christmas sermon's already too long already, and I get it, but, but you have full permission to tune me out. The thing that you're ultimately tuning out is the rest your heart is longing for. That book I told you about, You Are What You Love, he's got a section where he cites a lot of the works of Augustine. St. Augustine is a saint in church history that 1,700 years ago, his theology and writings have led to so many things that we believe to be true about God today. He was actually a really immoral party boy whose mom prayed for him. So if you're a mom praying for your son, don't give up because there was a mom praying for Augustine 2000, or 1,700 years ago, and he ended up doing okay. And so he, he writes these collection of letters called the Confessions. And I want to show you the brilliance of something that was written 1,700 years ago into this moment right now. Don't miss this. He said, he said this. This is deep. 
Go with me. A body by its weight tends to move toward its proper place. The weight's movement is not necessarily downward, but to its appropriate position. Fire tends to move upward, a a stone downwards. They are acted on by their respective weights. They seek their own place. Oil poured underwater is drawn up to the surface on top of the water, but water poured on top of oil sinks below the oil. They are acted on by their respective densities. They seek their own place. Things which are not in their intended position are restless. Once they are in their ordered position, they are at rest. 1,700 years ago, Augustine is talking about gravity, but he's kind of debunking gravity. And he's going, I don't mean that everything's pulled downward. Not necessarily. If you drop a stone, it falls. But if you light a fire, it rises. Why? If you pour oil and water, it rises to the top. But if you pour water and oil, it goes to the bottom. Everything seems to be, physically speaking, just inanimate objects, looking for a place to rest. And an object will continue to move until it finds where it's looking to rest. Now, he didn't have this illustration back then, but I want to add this to all of his examples. Think about it. Have you ever been in a pool and tried to push a beach ball underwater? You've got this like weightless object that you can just hit around. It floats everywhere. It's literally weightless. But then you push it underwater, and what happens to it? It becomes like 100 pounds. And you can feel it even in your chest, like it's popping up. And some of you have done this, like you push it far enough to the bottom and you can feel that pressure surging to where as soon as you remove your hand, there's a split second where it just kind of stops and then boom, pops up and starts to float. The sermon today is this. Your heart is the beach ball underwater until you let God love you. All of your anxiety all of your disappointment, all of your loneliness, all of the darkness from living in a broken world. There is a pressurized volume against your soul in this broken, fallen world. And I'm telling you, there is a relief and a release that comes the moment you discover the reason why you were created by God, which is for God to love you. And I want you to think about the difference between a beach ball that's all the way at the bottom of a pool, ready to pop up, and one that's just floating along doing what it was intended to do. That one floating along could be your soul and your story if you will let God get through to you with his love on Christmas today. And Augustine wraps it up by saying one of the most famous lines of all time. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You don't want to buy into everything I'm saying Okay, but your heart and your story will be restless until you learn to rest in the love of God. So we got this moment, and all I wanted to do with this sermon is two things. I want to invite people who don't know Jesus to open their hearts to the love of God. I hope God's speaking to you right now, and I hope today you say yes to a relationship with him for the first time. You'll never be the same. It's so simple. It's so worth it. But if you're a believer in Jesus... We've been praying about this moment for a while. For you to somehow tangibly connect your story to the love of God. So instead of taking communion to wrap up this sermon, we gave you guys candles on the way in. And it's time to get your candles out. If you did not get one, yes, sir, I see you holding it up. If you did not get one, just raise your hand right where you're at. 
We're gonna take some time to set this up. Would you stand up right where you're at once you got your candle? If you didn't get one, just raise your hand. Don't start lighting them yet. I'm gonna give some specific direction around this, but there's a purpose behind this, I promise. We're not just lighting up candles to sing some carols and move on on Christmas. There's gonna be some meaning behind it. I wanna invite you to recall the ways God has loved you this year. So what we're gonna do, everybody got your candle, everybody got, anybody did not get one, just raise your hand right where you're at. And I realize through a screen that this is not as impactful as it probably will be in this room, but just go with us on this, okay, go with us. I'm gonna count to three, and we've got team members in place who are gonna light a few of these candles. We went all out on these candles. These are some expensive candles, okay? So they should burn fine, and this room should fill up pretty quickly in all the other rooms as well. I, I don't know what to say about the other locations. Y'all's might not be as expensive, but these are great. We're gonna take a moment, make sure this whole room gets filled with everybody who wants to light a candle, then I'm gonna set up a moment. So on the count of three, light them up. And then as soon as you have yours lit up, help somebody around you. I think it'll be shocking how fast this room fills up. One, two, three, light them up. And we'll watch this spread around this room. So because I want you to tangibly and personally express ways that God has loved you in 2023, and I want you to taste a little bit of what we've been talking about this entire sermon, I'm going to call out some things that may or, not, may or may not be true about your life, but it's a vulnerable opportunity for people in our church to say, that's actually my story this year, and we're just going to stir up the love of God before we sing one lyric. If in 2023, there was something that came against your life, and I mean like an attack from the enemy, I mean like maybe depression to a level that you thought about taking your life, or maybe there was a specific, I almost gave up on my faith in Jesus entirely. But somehow, God has seen you through the darkness of that attack, and you're standing here today in the love of God to go, it's not perfect but I'm still going and that attack against me did not prosper, but I will stand in the land of the living declaring the goodness of God. And I'm gonna join y'all in this exercise, by the way, because that one, I'll be the first one to raise one for that one. But if in 2023, there was an assignment to take you out that did not take you out and you're here today to say, still love Jesus and still follow him, would you just lift up your candle right where you're at? Beautiful, wow, wow. You put those down. I just want to recall the love of God. If in 2023 you lost someone close to you and the grief over that loss was overwhelming, I don't want you to lift up a candle just because you lost someone. I want you to lift up a candle if you lost someone and the love of God 
was so near through that loss that you know God deeper today than you ever have before. If you lost someone in 2023, but God was so near and saw you through the darkness of that night and you cannot deny it, would you just lift up your candle right where you're at? Amazing. Wow. put those down. This one's a little more personal. I'll be looking over at my wife during this one as well. If 2023 was not a perfect year for your marriage, maybe it tested you as a husband, you as a wife, and the covenant that you made before God was something that was a strain and an effort. But you're here at the end of 2023, and you're still married, and you're still in love with Jesus, and your hearts are still set on a lifetime together and every attack against your marriage has not broken the two of you apart. Would you just lift up your candle right where you're at? Amazing, amazing. Thank you all for your vulnerability. Next one. If you're here today and you'd honestly say that you are praying that someone in your family or someone close to you would believe the very words that I have been preaching from this stage and you're going, I got somebody lost and I just wanna lift up a candle as a prayer over their life. Would you just lift it up right where you're at right now? Hold this up, y'all. The fact that you're even holding up a candle for somebody else tells me so much about the love of God being planted in your heart. It means you believe it. It means it's real to you. It means it's gotten through. And God sees that. Even if they're on your row right now, God sees that. He uses it. You can put those down. Last one. If you're finishing 2023 and you can say beyond the shadow of a doubt that it's been a tough year, but you're getting sanctified by the grace of God and you are not the same person who walked into this year. God has moved. It hasn't been perfect, but you're still going and you're still on the journey. Jesus is winning your life and story. Would you hold up a candle right where you're at? Amen. Amen. We're going to let this moment rest and you can hold that for as short or as long as you want to. We're going to sing. And my only intention of offering you all of those examples is for you to see in a real way. God does love you and you do love him. Can you believe it once again and let his love overflow in your life this Christmas? Jesus, I pray as we sing and I pray as we view this moment that the love of God would be overflowing in this room, that thousands of people through the Christmas message of your gospel would have eyes lifted to heaven. God, that you would do a new thing in and through our church. God, that you would be even right now doing a new thing in and through families. Jesus, we sing to you now. We lift praises to you as your people now. We remember your love. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.